Welcome to the process of progress, an ongoing conversation between two friends and sometimes other creators about removing resistance, moving forward, and manifesting your desired reality. If you've ever been at a loss with these frequently touted higher concepts, you're not alone. We're figuring it out too. Please join us for our bi-weekly check-ins where we test out some real-life applications, review our blunders and successes, and keep our faith in the, the process, process of, of progress. progress. Welcome to the process of progress. I am Cecilia McCarowitz. And I'm Hollis Maloney. <laughs> We're here with uh, my good friend, our first official guest, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Megan Cusolino. Hi, everybody. Hi, Megan. Hi, Welcome. Megan. <laughs> this is so exciting to have a third person on. <laughs> I know. It's like not just Hollis and myself in, in our own blanket fort bubbles, which... Um, yeah. We got new mics, so we're all sitting up, upright at our computers talking. That's that's always a plus. It feels um, like we've really leveled up. <laughs> yeah. We're not like in dark caves. I'm not sweating because I'm I'm in a blanket for it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's get cracking on this. Um, yeah. Hollis, you're I'm putting you in charge of asking some of these questions. So. Megan, I cannot wait to learn all about you. Yeah, I'll do I'll do a quick intro just because um, I've known Megan for so many how many so many years now. It's been a while. Five, six ish. Yeah, yeah, and um, and she's a very close friend of mine. We we got closer recently creating the mindfulness and anti racism group that we co host together, mm-hmm. and um, we met originally in the Brooklyn yoga community here and yeah just are very very similar folks both manifesting generators <laughs> exploring <laughs> what that's like in the world um so Megan I guess I'll have you talk a little bit about just who you are and what you do and yeah let's start, start sure. it out that way yeah well already I'm like how much time do we have for this part um but <laughs> yeah so hello I'm Megan um what I do now is I'm a yoga teacher and I'm a coach um I specifically help people with anxiety with making changes with building habits um more recently I would say my work has been diving more into kind of like the deeply held programming that we have removing or improving limiting beliefs um, and kind of busting through our own internal blocks. I see that there's a huge connection between that kind of stuff and the anxiety that we tend to carry around and that kind of feeling of stuckness. So it all kind of comes together. Um, Yeah, I'll leave it at that. That's pretty much what Mm. I do. Mm, that's good that's very good Uh, yeah gosh uh that's i know i was listening to and i was like wow you're like the perfect first guest (laughs) (laughs) like this is so this is so in alignment and just what you said about like that connection between those internal blocks and the anxiety we carry around i mean oh my gosh no joke. I mean, I've heard it referred to as so much as an epidemic before. And I'm like, I don't think that's an understatement. Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone I know carries around a great deal of anxiety. hundred um, I, I am curious if um, you've, if you think that, because I've talked about this with um, friends and with Hollis, um, 
if you think there's a correlation between being able to put a word to it, because I feel like people just didn't talk about anxiety very much. And if like now that we have words for it and that people are more open and willing to talk about it, if, if you've noticed, I guess, an increase in it, not necessarily because not increase is the wrong word, but like a more of a revealing, like if more people have it. I think, yeah, yeah, I think exactly. Yes. What you said, I think, Mm -hmm. um, I think like anything, you know what I mean? It's like, the more that we have the vocabulary, the more people are like, oh, that's what I have. That's what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, 100%. And I think it's also, you know, it helps. I know in my own journey, like even recently, a lot of things that um, I've talked to Hollis about this past year, stuff that I've discovered about myself, it's it becomes kind of vindicating and validating when you're like, oh, that's what that is. You know what I mean? And it becomes that mm-hmm. much easier to kind of work through it. Um, because when there's a word for it, it means you're not the only one, you know, it's like, this is a real thing. Mm. Um, like Mm. good example actually is just the other day I posted on my Instagram about, um, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget the name of it. Um, but it's, uh, the uh, revenge bedtime procrastination. (gasps) Oh. Yes. Oh, my husband just read this to me and he totally pointed the finger and I was like, no, you're right. Go I did this what it is. for the majority of my life. I would say up until pretty recently, I still do it sometimes, but yeah. I magically yeah. don't really do it anymore. But like my 20s, I was like, why do I morph into a bratty child at bedtime who I'm literally fighting with myself? I'm like both the parent and the toddler. And every, like literally from like 21 to like, 29 every morning of my life I would wake up and tell myself tonight tonight's gonna be the night that you go to bed on time because I'm so sick of waking up feeling like garbage and you know I've I had shared that experience obviously a lot of people do that kind of thing so me and my friends in my 20s had names for it called fight the night um and and things like that but when you realize like oh you know uh, there's a name for it, revenge bedtime procrastination. Uh, you're like, oh, this is like a real thing. And there's a reason that I do it. And it helps you kind of understanding like anything, you know, like you, you know, in Western medicine, we talk about just treating the symptoms when you can get to the core of why something is happening, you can really kind of address it, you know. And so in the case of this just example I'm using of revenge bedtime procrastination, the reason people do this is because you feel like you don't get enough of your own time to yourself during the day, you know? So Mm -hmm. this happens a lot. This is in my experience, why I was doing it in my twenties was because I was working a nine to five job that my heart wasn't really in. And so at the, at the end of the night, I was like, no, I want more time to just sit on my couch and do what I want to do. You know, I always felt like I needed a certain amount of time that was like just mine, you know? And if that meant Mm -hmm. past midnight, I was going to take it even if I had to get up and do the whole thing again the next day. So understanding that, it's like, oh, well, maybe instead of banging my head against the wall and trying to build these healthy habits, because how many articles have I read about how to go to sleep on time and how to set the mood to get good sleep and dim the lights and stop looking at screens, all those things, you can do that until, you know, like the cows come home. But if you don't address the core issue of it, which is like, maybe I should shift the way my time is spent during the day, then, you know, you're going to keep being that toddler at bedtime. 
Yeah, I I can full on attest to that. Uh, I just want to really quickly say I'm so yeah. glad that we're that you brought up that specific thing, Megan, because you two are the two people in my life who have at different points in our friendship. <laughs> told me how you're both like night people Mm -hmm. and how you don't like you just are the types of people that like want to go to bed at like two in the morning like (laughs) and and wake up in the afternoon and I think it's just so funny that you brought that up as a specific example because I'm just like there's this is all coming full circle for me yeah Yeah. I am a hundred percent a night owl but that doesn't mean that you know I need to be depriving myself of sleep at the same time. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, so right. it's like exactly. there's being a night owl and having a shifted schedule that doesn't necessarily fit with mm-hmm. the expectations of society, which is like, that's a whole other topic in, a, in itself. Oh, that, God, that applies to so many yeah. things. Um, but then there's like fighting with yourself and not being mm-hmm. able to show up for yourself and do the things that you know are going to be mm-hmm. best for you, even if that means – for me, it's not going to bed at 10. It's getting in bed by midnight. You know what I mean? Um, knowing if I have to get up, you know, at a certain time the next day. It's like yeah. being an adult about it, basically. Making a logical decision. Hmm, being an adult about it. Wow, those are that's a big That's, that's a, big a loaded sentence. term. Maybe that's not quite the right thing. <laughs> but let's not, no, I love it. Let's not make ourselves grow up too fast here. Also, uh, for what it's worth, I really think that you need to write to the Revenge Bedtime Procrastination Association and tell them to change it to Fight, to th- fight, fight the, the Night, because that sounds way I know. cooler. I have to, get, I have to totally credit yeah. one of my good friends in Colorado for coming up with that term. It was a... Uh, it's so much better. Nail on the head, yeah. <laughs> so right, I'm really well, curious. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm really <laughs> no, curious. <laughs> Because I actually don't know if we, maybe we have talked about this, Megan, but also just for the sake of this podcast, because we're talking about naming something and mm-hmm. how naming it can really bring clarity and understanding and like it can help contain whatever the thing is. So I guess specifically about anxiety, when did you, when did you acknowledge mm. that anxiety was the thing Ooh. that you were experiencing? Mm, really? Really good question. Um, And yes, like immediately I'm like, yes, naming it was a huge help. Um, So again, I'm like, how far, how long of a story do I tell? But basically, (laughs) um, uh, basically when I was in my late 20s, um, I had been doing the grown up thing real well. Um, (laughs) Kind of followed all the rules. I had bought myself a condo. Right before my 25th birthday, I had a really stable job. I worked for the local government out in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I had a Volvo. I was very grown up. And then I started feeling, yeah, grown up in hard air quotes. Um, I started (laughs) feeling kind of like, is this all there is? You know, kind of like, why am I still unhappy? Like, what's wrong with me? I should be grateful. You know, I have this great life. Um, Like, what more could I ask for? So I got restless and I started kind of taking my life apart. I made plans to make a bit, to take a big trip um, through Europe before moving back east here to New York. I'm originally from New Jersey, so it was kind of like a return to home in a sense. Um, I put my condo on the market, which was scary. I told my boss I was leaving, like all this very, very stable stuff I started pulling apart. And then one morning, you know, Boulder has a really awesome happy hour culture, or at least they did before (laughs) pandemic hit. Um, And so we would hit happy hour. um, I would love those margaritas. And then 
you know, Saturday mornings were kind of rough. And um, I had <laughs> this one morning where I had what I at the time referred to as like the weirdest hangover I'd ever had. Um, terrifying experience. If anybody listening has ever had a panic attack, like to this level, and also I want to just like do a little side disclaimer that when I talk about my work with anxiety, I'm really talking about generalized anxiety disorder, not um, some of the deeper levels. I'm in no way like, you know, a doctor or a trained psychologist or anything like that. Um, so kind of talking about more of the general stuff, but this was my first experience having some, an experience of that intense level where basically it started as what felt like a normal hangover. Um, I've since learned that hangovers can bring on panic attacks. So I haven't mm. been drinking as much. Um, <laughs> but you know, there was a lot of nausea, which happens with a hangover, but I couldn't quite puke. Um, I started feeling kind of dizzy and blurry eyed at some point, my hands and arms went completely numb, which was terrifying. Um, and then, you know, what happens when you're in anxiety, really any level of anxiety is like your mind starts to come up with worst case scenarios. I lived by myself on the second floor. I started thinking Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. I'm going to die up here by myself. I can't get down those stairs. How would I get myself to the ER? Like you just kind of really go into a tailspin. So, um, what actually happened, and I'm going to share this part, it's irrelevant to Haas's question, but I think it's important for anybody listening, because what happened, and this was this went on for, in my memory, it was hours. I don't really know. I think it was actually hours, but it was a long, terrifying situation um, where I was like, did somebody poison me? Like, I'm having a heart attack. It's very common for people to go to the ER thinking they're having a yeah. heart attack if they're having a panic attack. Yeah. It really feels that way. Um, you really, it's very easy to convince yourself you're dying. So like if you're out there and you've had this experience, like I hear you, I see you, like you're not crazy. Like it really feels that intense in the moment. Um, for me, I was able to, it was a challenge because I couldn't really focus my vision or my hands weren't really working that well either. I managed a friend of mine texted, it was a beautiful day in Colorado as they usually are. And a friend of mine texted saying, you know, I'm coming up to Boulder. Would you want to go for a hike? I struggled to get a message out to her, but I said, you know, I'm not feeling well. If, after you run your errands, do you mind swinging by and just checking on me? I didn't want to make her extra alarmed, so that's all I said. I then texted my neighborhood downstairs who had a key to my door, and I said, hey, can you just leave the key you have for my door under my doormat so that that way I didn't have to go down those stairs because in my head, if I tried, I was going to tumble like to my fate, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. So it's like this whole orchestrated Jeez. thing I had to figure out. So anyway, what I realized was that by the time my friend showed up, which was a couple hours later, I felt so much better that I felt kind of silly for even asking her to come over. But what I think had happened mm-hmm. was knowing somebody was coming helped me feel mm-hmm. so much better. And that's something mm-hmm. that we do. Again, this is a tangent. I'll, I'll get to the actual answer of the question, but... That's something I think that we do so much in anxiety is like we, we stay on our island. You know what I mean? And I think anxiety happens specifically in people who, whether they were kind of raised this way or they just have this kind of belief, like they feel like they need to hold it all together themselves. You know, in my experience, 
Um, I grew up, my parents divorced, me and my sister both kind of quote unquote grew up fast and that, you know, we mm-hmm. both like we started doing our laundry at a young age. We kind of were on our own for dinner at a young age. We became latchkey kids. Like there was a lot of um, kind of role reversal happening. So we had to kind of like, yeah. we had to be okay. You know, we kind of, mm-hmm. I don't want to say we weren't allowed to have problems, but like kind of felt that way a little bit. Um, and yeah. that's what I see a lot in the other people that I talk to that have anxiety is like either they're the oldest sibling or, you know, like they somehow had to kind of hold it together. So in that moment, my biggest, biggest, biggest like hack for getting out of that kind of panic mode is like allow yourself to be vulnerable, whether that's just for yourself, like stop yelling at yourself and telling yourself to pull it together and be okay. Um, Sometimes I like to envision myself as like a little girl who just needs help, you know, and sometimes that'll bring that'll bring the tears that'll really literally literally break down this wall, you know, and let me be like soft and let it be okay to be vulnerable or reach Mm -hmm. out. Just tell somebody, hey, I don't feel good. Just so you know, like maybe you can stop by later or maybe we can just talk on the phone. It doesn't have to be about my anxiety. Just like let's talk about anything. And those have been the most helpful things. It's just like, don't be alone. Don't tell yourself that you have to like fix yourself, like that you have to be this hard shelled being all the time because that's kind of where it comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that was my experience. (laughs) So by the time my friend showed up, she was so sweet. She brought me like ginger ale and and saltines and laid in bed with me and and just kind of, I started trying to get food back in my body and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but after that happened, I know telling the story now, it seems like, duh, that was clearly a panic attack. The, like later that day and a couple days after I was like telling people, I was like, you guys, you wouldn't believe this crazy hangover that I had, you know, until one of my good friends was like, um, Megan, I think that was a panic attack because she had had panic attacks <laughs> previously. And I yeah. was like, yeah, nah, me, I'm strong. I'm fine. That can't be, you know? And thinking about all these major changes I was making in my life, I was excited about all of these changes, you know? Um, I'm I'm a planner, similar to Hollis. I love to, like, map (laughs) things out. So I was having so much fun in that planning process and that anticipation process. I didn't realize that there was a part of me that was terrified of, like, literally knocking my foundation out from underneath myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't acknowledging myself in that way. Also important to note, this is before I got into yoga and meditation and wellness. And this is a lot of the reason I got into yoga and meditation and wellness. So it was when I, and only, you know, there, that, that horrible experience kicked off several weeks of having panic attacks, like somewhat consistently. Oh, yeah. um, I just, I remember just for like people listening and like, you know, also listening to Megan's story, um, I, I don't, and maybe, maybe this is something that is common that you found is common in people that you work with. Um, cause you, you know, you work with people on this on a regular basis. Um, once the word was put to it, I almost felt like there was like this backlog that just vomited up. And I was, I was insane for like six months. I felt that it was just like, what it, 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 it like all came out mm. at once. And it was like a geyser. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I mean, it it truly is kind of like adrenaline energy, right? Yeah. So it really is like (laughs) if you think about like think about a soda bottle or kombucha, whatever you drink, 
Think about <laughs> twisting the cap just a little bit and all that yeah. energy, all that fuzz, fizz comes up, but then like you have to you have to open it. <laughs> like you have to let it out. You yeah. know what I mean? And so once you yeah. do, it's like right. Um, and so yeah, I mean I think I think what you said, Cecilia, definitely is like once you open those gates. If you've been ignoring that part of yourself for so long. And what I realized, too, is I look back to certain memories that I had and realize, like, oh, that was a small panic attack. I thought I was just, like, really mm. dizzy and lightheaded or, like, maybe I got mm. too high or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I was that was a panic attack and I just didn't have the name for it then. Um, the other thing that happens a lot, a lot, a lot is once it's happened once you have a fear of it happening again. And it can kind of feel like a self-fulfilling prophecy because then you're like so terrified. You know, what if this happens while I'm driving? What if this happens when I'm in a meeting? What if, Mm -hmm. you know, all these scenarios. Um, And so, yeah, so it's really important to kind of, you know, get to the bottom of it, you know, and to allow allow all that fizz to like, flesh itself out and find a way to let that adrenaline energy get out of you on a regular basis. And if I can, I'm going to tell another little story here. (laughs) Um, Go for it. No, I, I'm just like listening to you is like, I've, I have talked to other uh, people about, you know, their experience with anxiety, but you know, you know, looking into what you do a little bit, I, to me, you're more of an expert, you know, oh. and to have, and to have somebody who is more of an expert speak about these experiences and like, you are hitting my own, like you, you were like describing so much of what I went through, like point for point. It's so comforting. Yeah. So <laughs> like, yeah, well, I just, and so for anyone else listening, I hope they find it comforting too. Cause you know, you're talking about putting words to it yeah, and how exactly. that makes all the difference. And it's just like, it really does. So uh, yeah, no, please well, carry on. I just wanted to throw yeah, that in and there. And thanks for saying that. And I think, again, it's like, that's what's so important is like, let's talk about it, you know? And for yeah. me, yeah. like that was a huge part of my journey as well of like getting more okay with my own anxiety and more okay with the fact that having anxiety does not mean that I'm not strong. You know what I mean? There's like this quote mm-hmm. that floats around the internet. That's like, you know, having anxiety doesn't mean that you're not strong. It means that you've you've been trying to be strong. You've been trying to hold it all together for too long, you know, that you've been Mm -hmm. that strong person for too long. Um, Mm. And so I definitely found the more people that I was able to open up to about it, the more people were like, yeah, me too. And it's like, everybody's feeling this, but, but, (laughs) you know, I was just, I was just writing an essay um, on something kind of else, but it's all kind of related to this. Um, the other day and something that I, I was thinking about and that I wrote was, you know, just because it's common doesn't mean that it's like should be normal or doesn't mean that we should accept it. And that's what I found for myself was I was like, well, everybody hates Monday morning and everybody kind of hates their job and everybody's tired and stressed out. And, you know, all the problems that I was having, I was like, this is life. Right. And it's like, that's no. what happened no. when I went on my big eat, pray, love style trip, which maybe we'll talk about later. But I had this kind of come to moment where I was like, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, like maybe yeah. I can feel good in my body and in my mind. And maybe like I don't have to have 
I had cystic acne and like, you know, I'm still working through my digestive troubles. So I can't say, you know, that, but like, we shouldn't have them. I'm not going to settle and just be like, I'm just bloated all the time. And that's my life, you know? Um, yeah. And same I think thing with really anxiety. Yeah, I think a really good example of that, I just read an article in The Atlantic a couple of weeks ago about this, was that how much anxiety has spiked because of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. how, like, just because everybody is experiencing anxiety and, like, heightened levels of stress definitely doesn't mean that it's normal. Like, we're right. in a pandemic. So, of course, right. we're going to be feeling, like, the repercussions of that. That said, it's not that we maintain this level of anxiety and we learn to cope with it. It's like, no, we, we work to get ourselves back to a state of equilibrium and normalcy. And even though that's like an extreme example of like, like what could be considered normal, especially like a year in, it's not, it's not normal. And it's like, we got to work to understand, like, obviously this is a global thing, but if it's something that's perpetually happening for you, like everything that you're talking about, like there's a root behind it. There's, there's a, a seed of, of this perpetual, anxiety that is asking for your attention. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I don't know, I don't really love the word normal. So maybe I shouldn't have used that in the first place. Cause like, what is normal? But like, it's, it is normal yeah. in the sense that like, it's very understandable that you're feeling it, whether it's because of the pandemic yeah. or because of other circumstances. Like in my example, I was like literally taking apart my whole life and everything that was stable and everything that was familiar. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, again, like, trying not to slip into that, like, what's wrong with me, I should be stronger than this mentality. But that still doesn't mean that you should like, settle for it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, So I just wanted to make that distinction. But yeah, and the pandemic is a great example, too, of kind of coming back to this, this little kind of anecdote that I wanted to share about the adrenaline energy idea is, um, you know, using the example of a possum, um, which I realize that we are not <laughs> possums. So sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Are we talking about the ugly North American possum or the adorable Australian possum? Oh, I'm only know. familiar with the kind that was like in my trash cans as a kid. So, so okay. The terrifying, <laughs> ugly North American possum. Got it. But really, it's just like, you know, the possum is one example of a mammal that does this. Um, there are others and we are, well, we should, my point of the story is that we should be one of them. So What happens with the possum, I tell this little story of like, you know, let's imagine this guy's little possum, he's walking around, it's, it's nighttime, presumably, because he's nocturnal. And, uh, you know, he's creeping through this field of grass, right? And this big dog, some kind of predator starts like coming after him. So this is where we go into fight or flight mode. Um, You're going to either, you know, in a, in, in a, split second in your mind, you make this decision of, am I going to fight this thing? And in this case, the possum is not going to beat the dog, right? The dog is like five times the size of the possum. Am I going to run? Nope. I'm not faster than this thing either. So I'm going to freeze. That's the third response, fight, flight, freeze, right? So, and that's why we kind of, we know the possum does this, right? That's why I use this example because the possum freezes, like play possum, right? That's why we say that, like play dead, essentially. And so the possum, he freezes, he plays dead, literally. And that means that the dog kind of sniffs around and decides this thing is dead, you know, no use in messing with it. So the dog goes on with his night. Um, I really wish that like listeners could see my hand gestures about (laughs) the dog paddling off through the field. Um, (laughs) 
But um, and then the possum, you know, waits until it feels like the coast is clear. But he doesn't just get up and go on with his night. Before he does that, he his body like shakes, convulses, like kind of uncontrollably. Because what happened was your body just produced enough adrenaline energy for you to either fight for your life or run for your life. But instead you froze. And you need a way to get that energy out before you can just go on with your day, right? And so what happens mm. is, of course, fight or flight is a, is a great thing. It's literally our survival, like one of our survival techniques. So it was built into yeah. us for a reason and we still need it. But we're meant to live in it for like maybe 60 seconds at a time. Yeah. And instead people like live in it like almost permanently. And that's really, huh. in my opinion, a huge part of where anxiety comes from because we're having those constant like, you know, whether it's like a loud truck rumbling by or a conversation with your boss that feels like somewhat threatening or uncomfortable. Or a news all notification those, on your phone. Yes. All those little mm-hmm. yeah. like, boo, 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 you know, like dings that like just kind of cause you to tense up. And most in most cases, I mean, you, you might notice if you. If you fight, you know, if you have a lot of pushback mm-hmm. and resistance in your life, you're a fighter. You might notice if you're a fleer, you know, if you're like, I'm out, I don't want to deal with this. Um, or most people, I think, are freezers, which means that you're kind of playing the victim, you know, in a sense um, where you um, you kind of think like I did, like, well, this is just life. I don't have control over it, you know, and you just mm-hmm. kind of think it's all out of your control. Of course, certain circumstances are so I don't want to like discount anybody's experience but you know there's there's you have to kind of have that that mindfulness essentially that awareness of being like well am I just like you know assuming it has to be this way or is there like something actually within my control that I can change um and so that's kind of the freeze response where we we just we we're stuck you know we think we're stuck um and so a lot of people live there um and then there's there's no like, you know, getting out of that adrenaline energy. So that's where I'm like, dance, baby, like go for a run, like (laughs) boxing, like whatever, you know, go to climb a mountain and scream at the top of it, like whatever you need, people need to get that out. And I think in our society, it's like almost weird if you do anything that's like that, like, you know, expressive, loud in a way, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Expressive. Yeah. That is yeah, that is so. Um, that I, I, that's that's a really I, that's a really valuable piece of information. Like uh, what you just described, I don't think I've ever thought of it quite like that before. So thank you. You're Very so useful. welcome. Yeah. Hope the listeners find it really useful too. And um, something that you know you were talking about and Hollis commented on too uh, that I think is so so important, or at the very least, it really speaks to to my heart is uh, the the settling for that. And how, because I, I, I don't want to settle for that. And I've taken a lot of moves and steps in my life so that, you know, I didn't have to settle for it. I mean, that is, uh, like I'm building a tiny house and it, that's a big reason why it's like, it's been three years of hell, but it's, it's for that. It's the whole point behind it was like, I want my time back, you know, um, and, you know, it's one way of doing it, but <laughs> there are other ways people, you don't have to build a tiny house to get it back, but <laughs> just, Follow just the heart. concept of like settling and what I hope 
is more this movement, uh, Megan, what you're doing. I know like what Hollis and I speak to on occasion is just like, it's, it's, this isn't acceptable <laughs> that we're all living with this and that we're all mm-hmm. like, it's acceptable that you have it, but like, except not acceptable that it's acceptable. Understandable that you have it, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was like, you have better words for that. Cause you, <laughs> It's a work in progress. This more regularly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Um, so we are like, I just want to keep us on track. Um, one of the main things, Hollis, I know that you wanted to ask was um, how you got from point A to point B, right? Yeah. Hollis, and actually, I kind of want to refine that question a little bit because okay. since we're talking about this, you know, the not settling idea is great as, an, as a concept of like, mm-hmm oh, I see my life. I see I've structured my life this way. I see how it's not supporting me. But then the ability to recognize it and then take steps to change your life so that it is more supportive can sometimes be really scary. And um, a great example that I'm personally going through right now is that like I'm trying to shift my career, which Megan, I think that's yeah. like the question we wanted to ask you specifically. But it can be so terrifying when you're so used to doing things the way that you do them, even if they're not supportive to then, to then suddenly shift or to, to then switch your thinking and know that you will be supported in that process of making that shift. Um, and I think that's also why a lot of people live in anxiety, right? And they live just in this life that doesn't feel good for them because they're like, well, it's too terrifying to leave my partner or move cities or change jobs or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So Megan, please speak to that. (laughs) So many things to talk about in there. Okay. Where to begin? Um, yes. I mean, I think the first thing that came up when you started like explaining that thought was, um, like, it's really important for people to know that things do not change overnight. And I think that's like one of the biggest <laughs> hurdles. <laughs> yeah. Tiny houses aren't oh, built in yeah. a day. <laughs> I know that. You're speaking to Cecilia right sure. now. <laughs> I know. Um, Go on. But, and I think that everybody's looking for a silver bullet. Everybody's looking for the pill, the morning routine, the coach, the trainer, the the new job, the new partner, whatever, like, oh, let me move to a new city, then I'll be a whole different person, you know? Um, mm, mm-hmm. And it's just not that easy. And so and so to your point, Hollis, like, I think that's a lot of why people do stay where they are. People, I should, I mean, you know, I'm generalizing, obviously, but um, in my experience, people might be uncomfortable but it's still more comfortable than change, than the mm-hmm. unknown, right? Than the mm-hmm. the knowing you're going to encounter trial and error that you might quote unquote fail. I could do a whole other freaking episode on the fact that failure doesn't really exist. Um, things that might be a mistake, same exact sentiment as failure, not a real thing. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's so much fear, you know, it's like the, the, the devil, you know, you know what I mean? You'd rather even mm. like, oh, my life sucks, but it's my life. So I'm going to keep it because I don't know what else there is. You know, I'm scared to see yeah. what else there is. What if it's worse than this? Or what if I fall flat on my face and everybody's watching? I think especially with social media culture, that kind of fear is amplified now because everything is broadcast and, um, you know, 
it's scary. It's scary. We go very much back to like our middle school mentality of, you know, not wanting to be embarrassed, not wanting to like be caught with your pants down in the cafeteria kind of vibe, you know? Um, So, yeah. So it's, it's about, you know, kind of having, having enough like courage or bravery or just like wherewithal to take the next tiny little step and know that it's going to be Mm -hmm. a series of tiny little steps. And also knowing that like, there is no arriving, you know, like getting rid of that idea that like, you know, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to have everything and then I'm going to be done. Cool. My life, like, also who wants that? Like, that's boring. You know, I don't want to just be done. Um, Like, no. So knowing that, like, I mean, to be really cliche about it, it's like, you know, the, the journey is the fun part, you know, like the, the whole experience is the process. Um, and so learning to kind of enjoy that, of course, you, you can have goals and places you're going to, but people get so caught up in literally living for this imaginary future moment that they forget mm-hmm. that like this counts as your life right now too. You know, if I hate yeah. my day to day, who cares if 10 years from now I'm going to retire and live on a beach? I might not fucking get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I curse? I'm like, I kind of like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Myself no, we, we, we cuss. <laughs> I'm like, 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 i on the the long-term challenge and it's inner work you know it's easy to do a lot of the like the external stuff and kind of do a lot of busy work that you're like I'm working on it I'm working on it I'm working on it but until people are willing to look inside themselves like that's the more uncomfortable stuff you know Mm -hmm. so um and there's so much trust so I mean that is like the word if 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 I die and like there's one word you need to stamp on my tombstone it's trust. Like that's like the word of my life. It's literally tattooed on my body. Like it's just like, that's the theme of everything because a little tangent I'll go on here too. So <laughs> the reason the, I had the Latin, the Latin version of it tattooed on myself, because if you break down the word confidence in Latin, mm-hmm. it means con, which means with, and then fidencia, great trust. So confidence isn't like I have the biggest house, I have the biggest salary, I have the hottest chick, I have, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's like, I have the most trust in myself. It's like, I don't necessarily have the roadmap and the whole plan mapped out in front of me, which again, people with anxiety, especially really feel like they need to know exactly how it's going to go. But I have trust that like, whatever hurdles come my way, I'll figure it out like that. I'll be okay, you know, and Mm -hmm. Again, we just we get really grippy onto like needing to know that plan. And so it's like trying to release some of that and trusting like you got this. Like you're strong enough, you're smart enough, you're resourceful enough, you've got a good community around you, like it'll be okay. You'll just have to pivot your way through. I think this year's a really good example of that. Like none of us could have ever yeah. imagined mm-hmm. that this was a potential reality, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for real. And it's a lot of pivoting and, and figuring out as we go. And I think in a way it's like, this is, we were never in control, you know? Like, like the plans we had, I planned on hosting seven retreats this year and the universe is like, you're cute, that's hilarious. Like way to like, you drew up a contract. 
really nice, really adorable. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's just like anytime we have plans, like we need to be okay with them falling completely down the gutter and knowing like, we'll figure something else out, <laughs> you know? It, yeah. And that, that maybe makes it seem like I'm making light of it. That's not my intention at all, but it's like, just keep going, you know? Um, so for me, I'll try to, I'll try to tell it like really pretty quickly, but you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier. So, you know, I kind of was starting to feel that kind of like staleness in my life in Colorado. I was there for seven years in total. Um, so I, you know, started. Yeah, yeah just really quick. Yeah. Hollis mentioned you were an environmental engineer. Yeah, uh, not an Colorado? engineer. Okay. Um, I wish oh. that sounds much cooler. But um, <laughs> I was I was in um, green building, essentially. So my okay. last okay. job title technically was a residential sustainability specialist. Um, wow. Okay. Also fancy sounding. Of, yeah. <laughs> I worked for the city of Boulder before that I worked for an affordable housing developer. So okay. it was basically my job in two different, two very different roles. Um, over the seven years that I was there, it was my job to like make residential homes greener, more mm-hmm. efficient, okay. like, okay. you know, less impact on the environment. Um, so I went from doing that in a more hands-on approach in the like actually working on how we build and renovate the homes to doing that in a more bureaucratic behind the desk, making policy, regulation, rebates okay. and incentives to help other people do it to their homes. Um, that okay. was a good way to burn me out on it. So um, <laughs> that's when I was kind of like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel the connection to it so much anymore because it was really about numbers and figures and reporting to city council. Um, and... Yeah. So, you know, along with a lot of other factors as far as like why I decided it was time for me to up and leave Boulder, which is like an ideal, amazing place to live. Um, yeah, and I just, I've been there. It's very nice. <laughs> it's very nice. It's really, I don't know that it gets much more like kind of utopian almost. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I needed some grit. I needed some, I needed some, mm. you know, somebody to be an asshole to me on the subway every now and then, you know, like I needed some realness (laughs) in my life. Um, and so, yeah, so I, you know, I started kind of taking my life apart. That's when the anxiety really peaked. Like I said, I realized that I had been kind of living with this like medium hum of anxiety for pretty much as long as I could remember. So Mm -hmm. I consider the peak of my anxiety to be a blessing, not well disguised at all, but like a blessing because I would have continued at that medium level without noticing it, you know? So it kind of gave me the kick in the pants. I needed to be like, Oh, this is a problem. And instead of aiming to get back to medium, like now the aim is to be like low to zero, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So because I had this time where I was going to have, you know, money from selling my condo, no job that I needed to take time off from, like no uh, overhead of any kind. I was like, let me go traveling for a little while. My sister lived in London at the time. She was also, we were doing this kind of simultaneously where we were kind of both taking our lives apart and we were going to land here in Brooklyn together. So, you know, we, we, that got a little bit messed up, but either way, we, um, I, I went traveling. I ended up traveling for uh, three or four months, somewhere in there partially with my sister, partially on my own. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you're out there and um, you know that there's like something really cool that's supposed to happen, but you don't really know how to make it happen. You know, you're like, Mm -hmm. like, I'm supposed to have some kind of moment or like these, like these are supposed to be like the 
the nights I'll never forget with these strangers in your like whatever. And I just was like <laughs> sitting in hostels, tired, like struggling to figure out where to like what to eat next and like where to do my laundry. And so um not and that's again like such a privilege I know it's such it's a privilege so real like <laughs> I know everything excluded from every movie you've ever seen yeah, it's like, like long-term <laughs> traveling I don't want to be like the like obviously I'm spoiled a little bit but like you know it's there was a moment where I could even like have this almost out of body experience where part of me was like, oh yeah, like strum your tiny violin, Megan, like you're such an <laughs> asshole. But then at the same time, I was really so frustrated because I just was like, I don't know where to go next. I don't know. Like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself out here. And like budget was a yeah. huge concern and like all this stuff. So long story short, I wasn't really into yoga. I had done yoga, but I was never like into the deeper parts of it. Um, but mm-hmm. You know, it occurred to me, which now in my woo days, I would call this an intuitive hit. I would have never said it at the time. Um, but it occurred to me <laughs> that yoga retreats are a thing. I knew one person ever who had been on one. And I was like, oh, maybe they have one of those here in Spain. <laughs> like, fucking, of course they have them in Spain. I'm like next yeah. to the Mediterranean. <laughs> so I did a little oh, search. Wow. I landed at this wellness retreat. Um, again, that's a whole nother story. I'll spare you the details, but long story short, I spent a week there. I was very like, uh, conscious of my budget. So I was like, I'm getting every penny's worth. So I did everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that was, that was the week. Like, that's so dramatic to say, but like my life was changed. I felt better mm-hmm. in my body. The guy who owns it, they had actually just opened. So I became kind of like this mm-hmm. pet project And the guy who owns it um, was like a life coach. I would have never been like, yeah, I need a life coach. But he offered me free sessions. And um, that's when I started to realize I had some deeper stuff to to think about and and to dig through. So um, that was pretty much when I decided like or started to think maybe I don't want to go back to the career that I had, which I had planned on just continuing in New York. I continued to travel for a while. I actually went back to the retreat for another week a little while later um, and kind of toyed with this idea of like, could I be this whole other person? You know, like that was scary. Like we get really attached to our sense of self-identity. So I kind of used my time in Europe. You know, you have that beautiful anonymity, which is like the best thing about traveling in my experience, um, where you can Mm -hmm. be whoever you want to be. And so I kind of tried on this different persona this different lifestyle I started learning how to cook vegetables and I started doing yoga and working out more um because I was like if I want to help other people do these things can I do it for myself you know Mm -hmm. I got back to New York broke scared got a job doing energy efficiency work um and I just very like that kind of logical brain kicked in and I was very much like that was a cute dream, Megan. Like you're back in reality now yeah. time to like pay off that debt. Cause you spent more than you were supposed to in Europe. Um, and like get your shit together again, you know? Yeah. Um, everything in me very quickly rejected that <laughs> to the oh, point where I like yeah. physically, like my back went out in like the worst way, which it had never done and has not done since. Like it was just, mm. it was a bad, I was depressed. I was like, I mean, yeah. I don't I don't want to be overdramatic and say that I was like thinking about suicide, but like it was like 
there were thoughts starting to come through my mind that I was like, this feels like it's not going in a good direction, you know? Um, yeah. And so long story short, I quit the job. It was that very day that I quit the job that I got an email from the yoga studio I had gone to in Barcelona. I had spent a good amount of my time in Barcelona and they were doing, they were announcing their very first ever yoga teacher training. And the timing of that email, again, I was like, hey, universe, I see you. But I was like, I just quit my job. Like, how irresponsible. I can't just go flitting back to Europe. Who am I? Like, you know, like, stay here, make money, get it together, you know, be an adult. Again, long story short, I went back to Europe. I did the yoga teacher training. It was like just a series of events. I just was like pushed like in every way possible. I was being pushed to do it. To the point where I was like, why am I fighting this? Like, sure, I'll go to Spain and do yoga for a month. Like, what? (laughs) So I did that. Um, After that, I started having that anxiety of like, what will I do now? And the the retreat, um, which was in Spain as well, they offered me a job. So I stayed in Spain a little while longer. I worked at the retreat. That's where I got a lot of my experience. That's where I got to teach yoga for the first time, you know, in like a real setting. That's where I learned about yin yoga, which is a huge part. I was talking about the fight or flight. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a huge part for me of of yin yoga. Um, I kind of was like mentored by that that coach who had been my first life coach. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was that was like it was just like a crash course in in this whole thing. And then and then I got back to New York um, a couple months later and I was kind of right back in that, like, I'm scared. What do I do with all of this now? But I knew I was like, I'm not going back to a nine to five. I'm not going to sit at a desk. Like I know where that gets me. I was scared literally for my mental health of going back there. Um, so I got more of a day job. I was making mostly deodorant for a natural skincare company. I was happy to be on my feet. I loved the people I worked with. I learned a lot from them from like a wellness and like natural, uh, health, you know, perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and after not even a year, I felt ready to start teaching yoga here in Brooklyn and start building like an actual coaching, um, business. Mm -hmm. Now, even that was like years ago, it took me a really long time. And there were, uh, again, I'll spare the details, but it took like, there were so many other like false starts, I guess you could say, and, and kind of messed up experiences in there. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of odd jobs to help me get through. There was a lot of money borrowed from my sister. So I don't want anybody to think that it was like in any way easy. Um, I'm now finally in a place where I'm like comfortable financially. Like I have clients. I'm like, you know, have well-established yoga classes that I teach. Um, but it, it took like a lot to get there and it took a lot of like choosing to stick with it. And something I think of often that that, you know, original coach of mine said to me somewhere during this process was, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And yeah. it's just true, whether you're talking about starting a business or following your own passion or whatever it is, if it was easy, everybody would be doing what they really wanted to do. It's not easy, you know, and so to me, it kind of just, there was no other option, you know, um, even though I knew like I'm, you know, uh, educated and, and resourceful enough, I, I could have gotten some job if I needed to, that just didn't mm-hmm. seem like an option, you know, it just was like not on the table. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was like, so from when I left Boulder, that was 2013. 
So just for context for people, it's like eight years later. So that whole story I just told took place over eight years. Um, and like, like I said, there's no arriving, like the story continues, you know, like yeah. it's not like, I'm mm-hmm. like, cool, now I'm good. And I can just like kick mm-hmm. back, you know, um, I'm just like, I can breathe a little bit now, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. always more to go, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Well, okay. I, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to choose this moment. I, I feel like we could talk to you all day. Yeah. Um, you speak with just so much passion and you speak from experience and it's like I'm listening to you and I'm like you you speak from such a a grounded point of experience um I just think you had just really beautiful things to say and really helpful things to say um and I'm really happy we managed to get your 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 uh abbreviated version to to where you are now and I just really appreciate that you give an example of a timeline because that is the point of our, or one point of our podcast is just to show people that it is a process mm-hmm. and it is a journey. And so, um, that theme really ties in and, um, I'm going to regrettably say that we're going to, we're going to draw this to a close. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but, uh, there were uh, two things that before, before you exit, um, that, we wanted to ask you. Um, the first one was uh, we structure the podcast so that we walk away with like a little piece of work that we have to do for the next episode. Right. So uh, in the work that you've done, um, is there any small one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners or and uh, specifically to to Hollis and myself that you're like, okay, Try this. Work on this from now till the next time you guys record. Um, yeah. What's our homework? A little snippet. <laughs> homework. We yeah. Homework. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing that has been one of the most impactful things I've seen for myself and for clients um, is stop plugging your phone in next to your bed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. For That's sure. It. No. No more phone in the bed. No more phone in the bed. Um, my husband listens to every podcast I record, so um, I'll just. Uh, <laughs> did you hear that, yeah. husband? <laughs> from from an expert, she said. From an expert, <laughs> you heard her story. I love it. Yeah, I could go into oh, all gosh. the reasons why, but that would just get me running on another tangent. So I'll leave it at that. Just, just trust me. No phone in the bed. Get an alarm clock. No phone. Uh, figure it out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I know that is, uh, I've heard, I've heard stories about like, I think, I think the most, um, like to me, it just made me cringe a little bit was like somebody describing that, like their, their phone was on the pillow next to them yeah. when they slept. I was just like, Oh Yikes. no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so, but I know that's not uncommon. Um, mm-hmm. no, that's good advice. All right. <laughs> the, the real quick, the stat that I yeah. once saw, I think it was on wait, wait, don't tell me was that like more and more people are, um, checking their phones while they're having sex. <laughs> yeah. Oh God! I don't remember what the number was, but it was just like even the thought of that. I was like, "That should what n- n- wow. phone free moment, right?" Like, <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, the phone is is in places where it shouldn't be at this point in our culture. <laughs> so, thank no you joke. for that assignment, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> 
The um, last thing we want to yeah. end on. So we always end on something that's not really related to the episode. Just like a little fun, <laughs> fun thing at the end. And so Cease and I um, wanted to ask you, and we'll also share too our uh, our answers. But if you've watched anything that you've really loved lately. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> again, how much time do we have? Um, I'm like a terrible binge watcher. Um, but yeah, so let me think what uh, what I've really liked the most. Just one or two, if you I can. Just, I watched, um, I think. I think it was on Netflix, the Netflix, this series called Behind Her Eyes. Um, mm. Very spooky. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'll, that that's going to be my recommendation. That was a good one. Behind Her Eyes. And it's spooky? Spooky, yeah. It's like a little bit of like, like a spooky, mm. psychological thriller, maybe. Ooh, um, I might not make it through that then. <laughs> I don't yeah, do scary very well. <laughs> I don't like scary stuff. So I will say like it was it it pushed me a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I always have to kind of like do what I call like a rinse out. So if I'm watching it at night, I have to watch like something really like light and fluffy before I actually go to bed. Um, <laughs> we, we call that a palate cleanser yeah, in my house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but it was good. I liked it a lot. It's like one of those things that kind of like sits with you for a few days after or you're like, oh, God. Mm, mm, but, OK, yeah. All right. I don't know okay. if I'll make it to that one then. <laughs> Oh, man. Cease, what have you been watching that you've loved? Um, well, so my my sister-in-law, she told me that she wanted to at least, I think it was once a week, she wanted to try and watch a movie that, like, you know, brought on the field copter. And I thought, well, I know a few movies that I know kind of get to me, and I, I'm, I'm a huge sucker for historical romances. So... <laughs> So I was like, well, I was like, let's, have you ever seen Wuthering Heights? Like the 1990s version with, um, oh, I can't remember their names now. I'm not going to try to think about it, but uh, like the 1990 version. And she's like, no, I've, I've never seen Wuthering Heights. I don't know the story. I was like, all right, let's sit and watch it. And uh, so we watched that. And it's like the most, I don't know if historical romance is the right word because it's it's really depressing. It's not a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole story is really depressing. It's very depressing, and yeah. like the the oh my god, the main the main character uh, Heathcliff is just like in in every version he's really intense. In this version, he's like so intense. Like there's this one <laughs> scene where he's like clinging to a tree, like grimacing because <laughs> she's died, and he's just like, I cannot live without my life. I cannot live without my life. And I was like, it's so intense. So, oh my God. It's so melodramatic. So that, but I love it. It's so melodramatic and I love every minute of it. <laughs> so, um, and just for the listener, if you, uh, as a writer, um, I, I particularly love that movie because uh, Heathcliff is one of the few examples of what I consider to be a true antihero. Uh, a lot of <laughs> yeah. the modern notion of an antihero is something, someone like um, Han Solo from Star Wars, where he's like, he's a dick with a heart of gold. And it's like, <laughs> it's like no, that's just another hero. <laughs> it's just a different mm-hmm. version. It's like an antihero is more of a villain character that is still the main protagonist. So... Anyway, that's kind of my, that's my spiel and why I love it. And (laughs) if anyone's curious about 
uh, sort of a very old look into human psychology. Uh, it's a great movie. <laughs> See, it's going to oh, ask, have cool. you watched Outlander? I have. I've watched the first okay. season. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know <laughs> how great. you don't continue because I like literally <laughs> think about going back and starting it all over again. But <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Outlander. Um, the the thing that I had to put, uh, I God, the, the, the prison scene at the end of the first season was that so was intense and like real, so traumatic. I was yeah. just like, I need a. I need a minute, we and that minute turned into I never went too. back. And that yeah, that <laughs> that's was why. That was that. I'll tell you at least, like from my perspective, like there were some other rough parts. That was the roughest of the entire series. So, yeah, that was yeah. Horrible. They really, yeah, they really like Games to Throne, Games of Thrones. That shit. That's I made it a verb. It didn't work yeah. well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was tough. I was just like, oh god. So okay, well that's good to know. If yeah. I carry on, that that's the worst of it because that was pretty bad. That yeah. sat with me for a while. Yeah, that's 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 with you. Yeah. So, all right, Hollis, what have you watched? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm I'm now suddenly torn. I was originally going to say that Nigel and I just started watching Broad City because I never watched it when it was on. Which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm at least watching it now because it's so amazing. So <laughs> like good. What is it every called? single episode? Broad City. Broad it's about City. About these two oh. girls who are like of our of our time of our generation in New York, just like living their lives, and they're hilarious. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And um, I don't really relate to either of them. <laughs> Or maybe in some ways I do. I don't really know. But it's, I don't know. I don't know how I missed it the first time around. Like people would talk about it and I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I need to see that. And now I'm finally watching it. And I'm just like, thank God I finally get to watch this. This is so, so, so funny. Um, So that real quick. But another new new show I just want to mention is uh, Your Honor with the guy from Breaking Bad. Binge watch that whole season also so well crafted so well um like it's a story that's so well told and the acting is really great and um I just highly recommend it it's about this young teenager and again this is why I thought of it because the first episode is like brutal to watch Mm -hmm. um but after that it gets easier but it's about this young teenager who accidentally is involved in a hit and run accident and he kills another teenage boy and just kind of like the repercussions oh. of that, like oh, the, how it just like goes all the way downhill, but it's such a good, such a good story and, um, totally captivating. <laughs> so highly recommend that. Okay. <laughs> can okay. I do one more? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like, sorry, you can edit this out if you need to. Um, but just because I was just thinking, cause we're recording this, it's women's history month. And, mm-hmm. um, especially mm-hmm. with the group that Hollis and I run, we're always wanting to highlight, um, in this case, women of color. And there's been two mm-hmm. really great, um, one was a movie, one was a short series that I watched recently. One was, um, the United States versus or against Billie Holiday. Um, I'm a huge oh, yeah, fan of Billie cool. Holiday mm-hmm. and I'm ashamed to say I did not know her story and I did not know specifically the kind of like racism component of her story. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend watching that for education as well as entertainment, but you know, a little perspective. 
Um, and then there was a mini series called Self Made, and it was the story of Madam C.J. Walker, who's the first black female millionaire in the U.S. Um, so mm-hmm. just like a fucking badass story. And again, themes of racism, sexism, all that kind of stuff. So you get a little education with your entertainment um, and two, two women that, you know, deserve to have their stories heard. So definitely. Thank you for that, Megan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you for all your time and your conversation. Yeah. I know I learned a thing or two. I hope mm-hmm. listeners learned a thing or two. Mm-hmm. This has been this has been great. Yeah, thank, thank you for you being so our much. first guest. I'm so honored. Yeah, I know you are our first guest. You you get to go in the Process of Progress uh, Hall of Fame. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe, rate us, and leave us a glowing, glittering review. If you want to connect with us even more, and we'd really like that, check us out on Facebook at Process of Progress Podcast, on Instagram at Process of Progress Podcast, or our website, which is, you guessed it, processofprogress.com. There, you can email us, check out show notes, and learn more about the two of us. If everything's yellow, you've found the right place. Till next time. time.